When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 269 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Super excited about this. Um, we're We're recording this like first thing on Thursday morning which is the same day that our October books and our Fantastic Beasts uh, <laughs> trailer takedown. I'm, like, stalking our email just to I know. see I, in I'm our actually, social. That's what I was going to say. I'm really glad we're doing this in the morning so we didn't both come in here and be like, listen, insert name here, a person who disagrees with us. Um, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We would never do that. Uh, if you missed it, though, Thursday was our October books episode where we have a whole bunch of books coming out this month we're excited about. Then also the beginning of it is an intro we did it with our buddy Jandra, who came on because all three of us had a lot of thoughts about the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them movie to uh, the most recent trailer. So check that out. Uh, but today we're talking about Big Library Read. Yay! So for new listeners, because as we mentioned last time, I know we have a bunch of those. Big Library Read is a program that Overdrive does that is a worldwide digital book club. So bear with me for like a minute. I'm just going to basically go through the spiel. Big Library Read, the most recent one, or the upcoming one, kicks off on October 1st, which is Monday? Yeah, which is Monday. So you're hearing this on a Saturday. Well, it's coming out on Saturday, but this is a bad start. Big Library Read just starts go with it. on October 1st. And from October 1st to the 15th, if you go to your overdrive library or school website or go into libby and find your library you'll be able to borrow the girl with the red balloon without any wait lists or holds uh for two weeks uh the title is a young adult book it will be front and center on your library's website if they're participating and like twenty thousand plus libraries and schools participate so it's a very good chance that yours does um, so no wait list, no holds. The title is available for simultaneous use. Uh, we expect you know hundreds of thousands of people are going to, to read the book and interact with it. And we have a whole bunch of really cool stuff you can do. So read the book, check it out. Uh, if you go to biglibrary.com, we'll have a discussion board where you can share your thoughts with us and with readers from all around the world. Um, and you can also engage with the author, Catherine Locke, who is going to pop in on the uh, discussion board now and then which is really, really cool. Uh, if you're a library, if you go there, we have marketing materials. We have discussion questions. You look confused, Joe. Nope, just continue. Okay, we have discussion questions there. And we also have uh, an author from the letter, all sorts of really cool stuff that you can check out at biglibrary.com. Uh, so every time we do this sort of thing, when you go to the library's website, you'll see the book, and then you'll also see this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Yay! So, oh man, that feels like a lot of words. Okay, so, I could have done part of that, you know. Huh? I could have done part of I it. I know. Well, I told you I had the website pulled up, and I didn't know if you had pulled it up because I can't see your computer. I didn't because you said you did, but then you could have just like – I, really I know how to talk about Big Library. I should have <laughs> let you do this whole part because I have to talk about the episode because you weren't able to join the interview. Uh, anyway, are there other things I'm missing about Big Library, Joe? Please talk. Um, no, I don't think there's anything you missed about Big it's Library. very thorough. Uh, if you really enjoy the book, there's actually a second book coming out in this in her series about the girl with the red balloon, which uh, sh- we discussed a little bit 
Uh, there's also recommended reads on biglibrary.com. So, Catherine came on. We discussed the book. We discussed where the book came from. It's This isn't giving anything away. It's a time travel book. The main character goes back in time to Cold War Berlin by the, the, the wall that separates East and West, and there's this whole thing about it. Um, it is kind of inspired by 99 Red Balloons, and it's also kind of inspired by a thing I didn't know about, the Bruce Springsteen concert in the 80s when he was, like, the first person to play on the east side of the wall. Oh, I don't think I knew that either. Yeah, we had this whole conversation about it. Also, perhaps the coolest thing we talk about, uh, Catherine is very good friends with a couple former guests of the show, Lindsay Miller and Marika Niekamp, and they have... A online Skype Dungeons and Dragons group, which is just amazing yeah. to me. It's all it's all young adult authors, and they play Dungeons and Dragons and they Skype about it and they tweet about it. So we talk all about this for like way longer than was probably necessary. But I'm obsessed with this group, so very very cool. If people want to get a hold of us, Jill, tell them all about how they can do that. You can go visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com, and all of our social links are on there. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. And if you want to see all the books that we are most excited about for October, in addition to listening to the most recent podcast, go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. The About page there has all of our uh, upcoming books that we're psyched about. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Okay. I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Catherine Locke on this very special Big Library edition of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Adam, and today I'm very excited to do a special edition Big Library Read Professional Book Nerds interview. I am joined by Catherine Locke, whose YA novel, The Girl with the Red Balloon, was selected as our most recent Big Library Read book club pick by Overdrive readers from all around the globe. So from October 1st through October 15th, readers at our tens of thousands of participating Overdrive libraries and schools can borrow the title without any wait lists or holds, and it'll be right at the front of their Overdrive websites or on Libby if they're using the app. And then they can read the book and join our discussion at biglibrary.com. And speaking of discussing things, Catherine is with me right now, and we're going to talk about the book. So thank you for joining us today. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. So can you get us started by giving us a little bit of an introduction to the book itself? Sure. The Girl with a Red Balloon is about a girl from our time who is on a school trip to Germany, um, and she has really conflicted feelings about that because her grandfather is a Holocaust survivor. And while she's there, she accidentally time travels, as you do. Mm-hmm. As one uh, does. That, yeah, I mean, that's what everyone does on a school trip, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, time travels back to 1988 East Berlin. And while she's there, she... Um, falls in with a group of runners and balloon makers who are using magical balloons to help people escape from East Berlin to West Berlin. And there's someone tampering with the balloons, and that's related to how her grandfather escaped the death camp in 1942. So there are three points of view, and really two timelines, but there's one chapter in the present time, so I have three timelines. (laughs) And it leaves all the stories together. 
Um, something that I really, really love about this story is that it's YA and yet you don't shy away from like the gritty and dark aspects of the time and some, you know, really serious topics and things. And I'm a huge, huge proponent of when young adult books have this type of stuff in here. But why do you think as an author, it's so important to put these types of topics into books that are, you know, you know, produced initially for younger readers, even though obviously adults like myself also read them? A couple of reasons, I guess. Um, First, I think that we underestimate how much teens can handle and what they're already exposed to. So there's nothing in The Girl with the Red Balloons chapters that are set in a ghetto in Poland that they haven't read in other books that deal with the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I didn't push that something that I felt like hadn't been addressed in YA literature already. Um, so I felt like that I, I was within safe boundaries for that. When it came to the 1988 chapters in East Germany, I felt that I actually had a responsibility to show as much of the realities of living behind the Iron Curtain as I could because we don't see a lot of it in young adult literature, and my book might be a teenager's first time reading fiction about teenagers living behind the Iron Curtain. And I felt a great deal of responsibility to say the realities are. It wasn't great. It was better in 1988 than it was in 1981 Mm -hmm. or 1960. But, um, you know, people were informing on their neighbors because they felt like that was the only way that they could survive. People disappeared in East Germany. They didn't have um, freedoms that we in the West now take for granted. Uh, And I wanted to make sure that a lot of that came across. So I'm curious because obviously when we're all in school, you know, we learn, you know, touch points about the Cold War and we are all taught, you know, extensively about World War II. But, you know, when deciding to write a story about, you know, a young girl who's time traveling, especially in the area in Germany where she is, what made you want to set the, you know, the kind of crux of the story in the 80s during the Cold War? Like, were, is, was this a time period that you kind of read about on your own previously and you wanted to share more? Because like you said, we, it's likely that this may be the very first time that people read about life behind, you know, where, where these people are, are living. Yeah, so I picked 1988 for uh, a specific reason, for, for two reasons. One was serious, <laughs> and that I wanted to really explore the ramifications of World War II on Germany, because East Berlin and the, t- the totalitarian regime that existed there happened because of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to make sure that that was something that I explored and really thought about because that's something that I wrestle with personally. Did, did the Allied forces and the Soviet Union um, in, in the, the aftermath of World War II treat Germany in a way that allowed, that made for a safer world or for a better world? And so I really wanted to think about that. Mm-hmm. I did want fairly close to when the wall comes down. So the wall comes down in 1989, November 1989. And I wanted to set it close to them 
but I didn't want the protest that eventually led to the wall coming down to have started yet. So those protests really started on almost a weekly basis in January of 1989. So I knew it had to be before then. And then the second reason, which takes exactly what month it takes place in 1988, is that Bruce Springsteen had a concert in July of 1988 mm-hmm. in East Berlin, which sounds like, yeah, Bruce Springsteen had concerts in 1988. That's what he did. But he was the first an artist to play on the east side of the wall ever. I mean, it, since the wall was, was erected. Mm-hmm. Previously, play on the western side of the wall in Berlin and turn speakers and play it over the wall to the citizens on the east. So he was the first person, the first western artist to play on the east side of the wall. Um, I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan, but that also felt like a moment that I wanted to include. It felt like an important turning point to include in the book. So I shifted the timeline of the, the book so that I could include that. <laughs> I mean, listen, any, anytime you can get the boss into a into yeah. a story you got to do it exactly so yeah there was one serious reason is that i there were socio-political things i wanted to tackle and then there was one cultural socio-political thing i wanted to tackle so yeah 1988 made sense to me have you ever gotten to see him perform live obviously not in east berlin since that doesn't exist anymore but have you ever gotten to see him play i haven't I'm, I, I really want to. I have to make that happen, but I have not. You should, um, I have no idea how you go about doing this, but you should, like, send his publicist a copy of the book or something. Just be like, hey, I thought you might I like this. That, I did. Last <laughs> year I sent <laughs> a copy of the book and was like, if you want to just skip ahead to the part where I wrote your concert into the book, I, book, I like, um, put, like, a sticky tab on it. Um, I back but yes i i totally sent his management that is my favorite thing i love it so much (laughs) it was like a moment of narcissism but also i mean the whole concert's on youtube you can watch all three hours of him playing in east berlin on Mm -hmm. youtube and i played it on loop for months while i was working on this book it was a really important writing this book um so yeah i sent that and i thank you well, listen, I fully support doing, you know, doing the whole like shoot your shot thing. I do it all the time with the podcast on Twitter. Like I, we had a, a children's author from Australia on who writes these like baby Einstein books and uh, Chelsea Clinton tweeted about how much she enjoyed them. So I responded and I was like, yeah, you should come on the podcast just like he did. And I was just waiting. And of course, she never responded. But I'm just like, maybe, maybe. And, that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah you have to Scott. I mean, you have to. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So getting, I should, getting back to your story and the book that you wrote, um, you use three different points of view to tell this story, which is something that I feel like is really, really challenging and a technique that could, you know, go poorly and, and get confused, you know, confuse the readers really easily. But you really create these clear voices for Ellie, Kai, and Benno. And I'm just curious like, for you, what went into defining those characters and like, what was the writing process like for you when you were making sure that they were able to be differentiated? In the first draft of The Girl with the Red Balloon, it was just from Ellie's point of view, and it didn't work. Um, so when I went back in about a year later to revise, I knew I wanted to add Kai's point of view. Uh-huh. And I got 
maybe like two or three chapters into that version when I realized that also wasn't working and that I had built this whole story around a family story Ellie had heard about her grandfather and that I needed to give her grandfather, who was Benno, um, his own voice and his own timeline. So I scrapped the beginning of that second draft, uh, re-outlined and began writing it. The way that I kept their voices distinct was that I wrote each character in a separate Word document, and then at the end of a writing session, I would copy-paste them into a master document, um, which is how, like, starting with a fresh page with a fresh voice was really helpful to me. They're also just really strong characters. Mm -hmm. I had a really good of who they were before I started writing, which isn't always the case when I sit down to write a book. So I was a little lucky that I had spent a draft and several attempts at revised drafts. So I knew who Kai was before I wrote Kai. I knew exactly what his voice sounded like. I knew what he was passionate about. I knew that he would do anything in the world to protect his little sister. Um, I knew what he feared. I knew all of these things about him. So when I started to write Kai, he came pretty quickly. Benno was a little harder because I wanted his chapters to feel a little bit like a fairy tale or a folk tale, so a little more um, sparse, a little more um, dreamlike. Mm -hmm. So that's not my normal writing style, and I had to kind of go into his chapters with a lot of intention and write very slowly compared to my normal typing speed. <sighs> but Benno's chapters needed almost no editing and that's probably because i wrote them so slowly and so carefully um that they basically came out and we copy edited them um so i was pretty lucky with benno as well but that one you know i really think about exactly what i wanted to accomplish in each of these interstitial chapters that's so interesting that there wasn't really any editing and like you said it's because of the way that you wrote it i feel like that people who may not be aware of the writing process like that is very rare yes and the rest of the book was i mean i threw out the entire first draft nothing like three lines survived from draft one to draft two and the rest of the book was pretty heavily edited um so yeah the benno chapters every time i would open the document from my editor they would have like a couple little remarks and a few clarifications and other than that um Benno's, Benno's story forms like the backbone of this book, and um, I'm glad that it was a strong backbone. <laughs> yeah, that that is amazing. Um, so, other than <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, were there any like stories or pieces of art that you used to inspire the story that you created here? Well, I got the idea because I was driving to work one day and heard 99 red balloons mm -hmm. on the radio. Um, so people frequently ask me if I've heard of the song, and I usually have to say yes. <laughs> it inspires them. Um, so I listened to a couple of different versions of that. I tend to listen to just one song on loop when I'm revising because it kind of puts me in like a trance-like state. Mm -hmm. But... Um, I read a lot of books. I watched a lot of movies. Uh, I read a book called Stasiland. I read, I watched The Lives of Others. Um, I read a, a lot of 
firsthand accounts of living in ghettos in Poland um, to really get a sense of life there. So most of the art that I was consuming was directly related with research, basically. Um, was I, To me, there's a little bit of the famous musical Cabaret in here, or is that just me projecting my love of theater onto your book? I have heard a couple of songs from Cabaret, but I don't actually know the storyline very well. So I'm glad that you see it, but that probably wasn't deliberate. The same way, like, a lot of Doctor Who fans see mm. Doctor Who in my book, and my knowledge of Doctor Who comes exclusively from Tumblr. <laughs> so I can't say that that was particularly deliberate either. <laughs> That was the most polite no I've ever received. I I accept it. <laughs> um, you do something online with a bunch of people that I love that I want to ask you about. So can you explain to people a little bit while I dork out uh, what your YA and D group is? Yes. So I play D&D via Skype. Usually, it's every other week, but our schedules are a little crazy, <laughs> with um, four or five other YA authors, Marika Nykamp, Lindsay Miller, Chessie Zabia, uh, and Fox Benwell, and Corinne Dubin. Um, so it's five. I just counted off my fingers. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, we ha- we've been playing for about a year and a half now. It's really fun. Most of us are newbies. Like, I, this is my first D&D game ever in my mm-hmm. life, which people I think because I'm otherwise quite a big nerd. But it is a really fun way for us to all be creative and think about story and choices and characters without being, like, writing in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to, I play a rogue, and uh, he tends to be just, basically one-liners straight through (laughs) and that is really fun for me because I don't write characters who are just one-liners straight through I that's just not what I end up writing in my book so he feels like a really fun outlet um yeah and it's great we get to catch up with each other and we talk about books and authorship and what things are going right and what things are going wrong and we are really supportive and then we play a game and fantastic and read our dm oh of course she is oh man yeah she's amazing and also she made our bed mimic like nine months ago and now none of us will let will sleep in bed <laughs> like she's do you go into it we're like we all stab the bed and she's like seriously like that was one time and i'm like nope you stabbed the bed Ugh. there's a tapestry on the wall stab the tapestry probably a mimic and the one time didn't stab a soft piece of furniture. <laughs> it was a rough othering, and I almost died <laughs> on Sunday. So that's the last time I. Uh, this is so. I, oh, you there? Yes, I am. Oh, sorry, um, you're cutting out a little bit there, but yeah, she, um, Marika was actually she was the first person I ever interviewed for this podcast. Um, and she has been back several times since she was, in addition to being our first interview ever, which was our fourth episode, she was also our 
200th episode and she came to Cleveland and we did like a live event with her and I got to take her to dinner and hang out with her and yeah she's just the best and when you said that she's a DM like that makes all the sense in the world to me she's fantastic she's one of my favorite authors but she's also just one of my favorite people um and it's been really fun to have her DM this game yeah she's she's one of those people where like when anytime I talk to her I'm like you're just much much cooler than me but um our every time yeah so you're talking about how you know this helps you be lets you be creative and have fun and catch up with other people but has this group either getting to interact with you know your friends who are also writers or just the fact that you're doing this creative outlet do you think that this helps your writing process for the stories that you then put into your books yeah I think that I'm more willing to look like off the beaten path I think that in plotting I tend to see like oh we've come to a branch the character has two choices and I've been able to like think a little more outside the box um and I mean the the composition of our group right is that there's a druid and there's a bard and there's um you know I'm a rogue they're all different types of characters and it's made me think a lot more about the roles in an, an ensemble cast mm-hmm. and sticking to characterization no matter what. So even though Corinne's character almost died, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, um, and we all knew like that she was putting herself in great danger, she really stuck to the characterization of her character. And um, that, that was really fun in the game, mm-hmm. but it also reminds me can't just bend a character out of their mold because it suits a lot better or it makes it easier on you as a writer and a creator. So I'm just how did you guys all like start interacting and doing this? Like did you know each other from outside of this? It just feels because you're all you guys are all over the like literally the world. Like how how did this get created? We all knew each other through YA. Um and some of us knew each other better or longer than other people. Um, but I'm pretty sure Maria was like, I want to put together a YA and D group who's interested and we answered. Um, so yeah, it started last February, February, 2017. Oh, man, I, I'm not trying to tell you guys how to live your life, but I will, all I will say is there is a very popular podcast called the adventure zone, which is, um, these three brothers, the McElroy brothers, they basically do, what you guys are doing, but they turned it into a podcast and it makes them lots and lots of money. And all I'm saying is I would listen to every single episode of you guys doing your YA and D group since I follow along on it on Twitter anyway. I just feel like you guys have a cash cow waiting for you. I think that would be really hilarious, but I would have to clean up my language a lot. Oh, because who writes for children, I, the language I use... Just give yourself a like a, a, a podcast. Like, you know, people do a pen name, just give yourself a podcast name and you'll be good to go. I'm telling you, you guys are like you're this is a cash cow waiting to happen here. I'll send the email. Alright, perfect. <laughs> Listen, tell Marika that it was that I gave her the idea. Like tell her that that was me, that, that I'm forcing you guys to do this. I want I want them to know that I'm forcing this on you. So okay, for everyone who isn't aware. They need to follow this on Twitter. It's so fun. 
Yeah. So we always hashtag it Y A, the letter N and D, uh, whenever we quote each other. Um, th- there's often just a lot of bad decision making happening, usually by my character. <laughs> my character no self husband skills and has a really high charisma score that he refuses to use. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. I think that. Uh, yeah, people should follow us on Twitter, and I will float out the idea of the podcast. I feel like I am blaming you for this idea, but you're already taking credit for the idea. Yeah, no, here's the thing. I will be happy if I get a begrudging email from you or Marika or Lindsay. I will I will gloat about the fact that you guys resentfully maybe start doing it. I'm okay with that. Fantastic. So. We're all set. Beautiful. Okay, so um, we always, being a book podcast, now that you and I have spent 10 minutes talking about D&D, um, I suppose I should ask you, like, what are some of the books that you have really enjoyed reading lately? I just finished The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. It was amazing. Uh, I was listening to it as an audiobook. The author reads it, and it's in verse or spoken word, and... Um, it was incredibly powerful. I wept in traffic for like 45 minutes straight. <laughs> That's how you know that. It was a really good book. <laughs> um, I also read Sea Fire by Natalie C. Parker. I'm obsessed with that book. Super, super excited that it is out in the world. It's like the feminist pirate fantasy, science fantasy book of my dreams. Um, and really interesting, complex female friendships in that book. That book is like a master class in how female friendships. And uh, I just started it, but I received an arc of Beneath the Citadel by Destiny Soria. Mm-hmm. And I love Destiny's writing. Her first book, Iron Cast, is one of my favorite YA fantasy books. And this one is amazing already. So I'm really excited to finish it this weekend. I literally just started that last night. I'm so excited about it. It's so good. Uh, writing is um, magical. Yeah. It's so good. Sucked me in and I was like, oh, I have to go do like the rest of my work. So I had to put it down. It, I'm staring at it right now. It's across the room from me. <laughs> and I am so excited to read it this weekend. Oh, I actually, I had to take it out of our office because I was doing the same thing. I kept like glancing over it at my computer and I was like, no, I can't, I can't read. Yeah. I have actual human work to do. Yeah, exactly. Like I, it's going to have to go upstairs next to my bed so that I don't look at it across my office all day. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, um, okay. So at the end of our podcast, we like to do what we call the nerd nine. And so it's kind of. Uh, nine, we used to call them rapid fire questions, but they never ended up being that. So now they're just nine lighthearted questions. Um, okay. So the first one, and you probably sort of just answered this, but it, the first one is what's the last book that you finished reading? The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. Do you have a favorite place to read? Yes, I usually read in bed. Um, do you remember the book when you were a kid that made you fall in love with reading? A Wrinkle in Time. Ooh, that's a good that answer. book like, blew me away and like transformed how I looked at stories. So yeah, A Wrinkle in Time. What is one place you would like to travel that you have not yet been to? 
Iceland. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Yeah, Passover is my favorite holiday in the entire world, largely because it is about storytelling the entire dinner. Um, so it's just really well suited to me. You eat and you tell stories for like three hours. It's fantastic. <laughs> My uh, my father's side of our family is Jewish as well, and so I have vivid memories. Of, and it, basically, his family is just like a bunch of like wannabe stand-up comedians. So I I like, specifically yeah. remember our Seder meals almost being like a game of D and D, where it was just like uh, basically a comedy travel through the Old Testament. Oh yeah, yeah. That those are my favorite seders. I will crash your family seder next year because that sounds super up my alley. Fantastic. Love it. <laughs> Fantastic. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? I am a chai latte person. Are you a uh, cats or dogs? Definitely cats. Do you have a favorite food? Um, I would probably pick strawberries or hummus, but not to, like very much not together. But both of those <laughs> are my favorite foods. I mean, potato latkes was sitting right there for you, just waiting to be said, but that's okay. You know, I have strong feelings about latkes. By, by all means, share them. Now, now you're going to get my strong feelings about latkes. So latkes have to be made in a certain way or else they're not good. Like, you have to hand-grade them, mm-hmm. not food them. They have to be hand-graded, which is awful. Like, making latkes is a very terrible process. Mm-hmm. The whole house not fried food in not the good way, like being behind the McDonald's, not in the McDonald's. And um, if you you have to get two of lots of potatoes, the red potatoes and the Yukon gold potatoes. If you mix them, delicious. And then um, <laughs> they only go with cream. I have strong feelings about people who put them with applesauce. Oh, don't even get me started. Oh. Yeah. Is superior in all ways. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess these are very fair, harsh criticisms of the process of making them. But once they're made, if they're made right, they're wonderful. That's true. They are very good once you make them, and you have just become immune to the smell of oil in your house. They're very delicious. Uh, All right. And like a whole bunch of Jewish YA writers will have big fights about. I mean, they're fake fights, but Mm. they're fights about. Um, latka toppings mm-hmm. and both of my my best friends who are Jewish and writing they all believe that applesauce is the superior one um, so in like two months people should watch my Twitter because there will be the great latka wars of 2018 <laughs> this I, I will die on the sour cream hill this app the applesauce thing has never ceased to infuriate me I am very much with you on that <laughs> we can be best all right. Like that—that—that's the bar for my friendship. Is if you believe sour cream beats applesauce on latkes. Perfect. All right, and and thus ends the first episode of Catherine and Adam talking about latkes. Um, Perfect. Uh, that's our next podcast. What's that? That's our next podcast. Yeah. After the YAC, we're gonna have an entire thing where we have fifteen episodes of a podcast just about latkes and sour cream. Listen, I don't know when you're going to get work done on your writing stuff, but I feel like, again, we're just sitting on a huge money train, and I it would be we'd be fools to pass it up. 
I'm going to send you an email about this. I'm only about 50% kidding. Oh, beautiful. Uh, by the way, this nerd nine, I have one more question for you, and this is why they're not rapid fire. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on from vodkas, we'll talk and we'll we'll plan out our strategy. But if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, I feel like I should have been better prepared for this question. Um... <laughs> Ellie Wiesel. Oh, that's a great answer. That's a really good answer. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's who I'd have to go with. See, this is why I don't ask ahead of time, because I feel like you might have tried to think of something different from that ahead of time. But right, you know, that first one that comes off the top of your head, that's how you know it's the right answer for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from The Girl with the Red Balloon? I hope that readers look through the last page and think about their own family stories, um, their relationship with older members of their family. Um, I hope they think about the way that history is not just isolated events, that everything is a cascading set of dominoes, and we are living in that now. And I think that um, at one point in the book, Kai says, the people never mentioned in history books still need history. And to me, that line sums up why I wrote the book, that all of us right now are making history with every choice that we make. And I hope that people make good choices i think that's perfect and the good thing for everyone reading this for the first time from through the big library read program is when they finish that last page and absolutely love it they'll be able to go get the second book in the series because it comes out october 2nd yes october 2nd and it is not a sequel it's a premium wow that's my fault i'm sorry i knew that that's my fault (laughs) Um, they, so you can read them as standalones, you can read them together, you can read them whenever or you want. But the magic that is used in The Girl with the Red Balloon is invented in The Spy with the Red Balloon, which is set during World War II and comes out on October 2nd. So I did half of a good job. I made sure that you could buzz market the second book, but then I goofed on what it is. That's okay. People think it's a, I mean, because it's the second book, people think it's a sequel all the time. This is like my common refrain. So don't worry, you are far from the only person. All right, well, that makes me feel much better. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like I have a new best friend and I know everyone's going to love the book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.